0: I hate summer. That's it. That's the tweet. I just hate summer. Like right now when I'm recording this, it's not that big of a deal. Like the heat wave has already kind of passed. But last week when I was recording, I was so delusional because of the heat that when the program that I'm recording in asked me, do you want to save the project? (laughs) Right after I (laughs) finished recording, I clicked no. (laughs) and my whole episode just went, you know, gone. Once again, as the previous time, I'm re-recording this episode, and this is very fun activity that I would like to unsubscribe from in the future. Thank you, if that's possible. It's not fun. I've planned to re-record episodes and to enjoy my summer, and I already mentioned my summer plan like my summer you know mode for this podcast like episodes 11 12 13 and 14 will come out every two weeks instead of uh, every week and that is because i want to relax during my summer and now i have (laughs) behind sorry i'm having a mental breakdown anyway Welcome to the episode 9 of Freaked Out Podcast, a true crime podcast about less known crime cases from all around the world. My name is Fabian and I will be your host for today. And today's episode is quite really special for me because this was the first case that I have researched by myself. Like most of the episodes, you know, that you hear on this podcast are like, I heard the story from another podcast or I heard this story or I read it somewhere or I watched a YouTube video. And this episode, this case, was the first ever case that I've researched on my own, that I saw a news article that said something. I don't want to spoil, but I'll I'll tell you in a minute. I saw a news article that said something, and I was like, hmm, this would be really interesting to, to cover. So here we are. By the way, I researched this story in 2021 for the previous podcast. Now I'm just retelling it. But that does not take its importance from being the first ever story that I researched on my own. What else did I want to say? Oh, my Patreon page launches soon. You can get all the details in a free post on patreon.com freakedoutpodcast. So if you're interested in bonus video episodes, go and check that post out. And if you want, you can support us for only $5 a month. And besides bonus episodes, bonus video episodes, I'm thinking about inserting more stuff, but we'll figure that out along the way. And the bonus episodes will start as soon as September 1st. So I'm telling you where in advance to be prepared, <laughs> if you want. So let's just cut this shit out and start telling you the story because this story today is quite interesting and sad of course but yeah let's just jump into it today we are talking about the murder of carla walker you may know this story from the articles that popped out quite recently in the previous couple of years because because this case went cold for 45 years and then in 2020 and 2021 they finally solved it so it's september 2020 and police knocks on the door of Glenn Samuel McCurley, who was a 77-year-old guy. They wanted to speak, once again, about the murder of someone named Carla Walker. Carla Walker was the girl that was murdered 45 years ago, and McCurley was already questioned once before, after the murder happened, and he was considered the person of interest. However, the case went cold for 45 years, But now, the police reopened her case and started questioning once again. McCurley was the person of interest back in the day because he had the same type of gun for which magazine of the gun and few bullets were found at the crime scene. And the gun in question was .22 caliber Ruger pistol. So when he asked, like, why are you questioning me again? It was like long time ago. The police told him that they have reopened the case and that they were questioning all people of interest once again. And this time they also asked for the DNA sample and he gave it to them. And DNA testing was not a thing when the crime happened and police was like, let's do that too now, you know, why not when it's available today. So, who was Carla Walker and what happened? We are in Fort Worth, in Texas. Carla was born on January 31st, 1957, as one of the seven children. She was, quote-unquote, well-behaved young woman. Good for her, but I don't think that's a great thing these days, because, you know, a well-behaved woman in 1950s, 60s, and 70s was quite different than today, with a lot less rights. (laughs) Let's just put it that way. She was very popular in the school and she was very loved. She loved school. She had good grades. She played tennis and was part of the cheerleader club, of course. You know, how can someone be a good-looking young lady and quite popular in school and not be the part of cheerleader club? she also planned on going to summer school that year and the year we are talking about when this crime happened is 1974 so she was planning going on summer school that year and she finished the semester earlier i didn't know that was the case in american schools maybe in the past but apparently you could go to summer school and not go to school when all the you can just end the semester early and then go to summer school that would be fun if i when i was a child because i was so bored during summers and i could use a school with ac so carla also had a boyfriend his name was rodney mccoy he was 18 years old senior at the same school they were you know the popular high school sweethearts you know the couple that everybody knows as a couple and not as individuals everybody knew who carla and rodney were rodney was also the captain of the football team because how many cliches you can have in a (laughs) story? you know popular girl cheerleader dating a football captain popular boy yay they were dating for a year and rodney often visited her house her parents loved him Every Friday, they would go on a date for a movie or to go hang out with their friends. And every time Rodney would come and pick Carla from her home, her father would say to him, keep my little flower safe. Life was good for them. Well, until it wasn't. On February 17th, 1974, their school held the Valentine's Day party or dance. You know, back in the days, it was called the dance. And again, if you think like, why am I mentioning that, it, the seven, 1974 was a long time ago. It was like 30 years ago. No, it's 2023 now. I know it's been 50 years since then. Good Lord, we are old. <laughs> so Carla and Rodney were obviously attending the party because how could they not? As a popular school couple, Valentine's to miss. No, their friends said that they had a great time, especially Carla, who was dancing and singing all night long. But sadly that night was the night she was seen alive for the last time so we jump up the cliff real fast after the party ended carla and rodney got into their car with one more couple and after dropping off their friends to their home or whatever wherever they went carla and rodney went to the bowling alley for carla to use the bathroom at 1 30 a.m She goes to the bathroom, she does her business, she returns to the car and they start talking. They start kissing, they start touching, you know, everything that young people do in cars in the middle of the parking empty parking lot in 1.30 a.m. Don't act shocked, we've all been there. Anyway, they start doing that and suddenly the door swings open. Now, Rodney thought those were a couple of boys he had an argument a few days ago while he and Carla were on a date. They went to watch a movie, and one of those boys from their school started hitting up on Carla, so Rodney ended up having a little argument with him. However, it was not them. It was this weird-looking man, and he was holding a gun. Imagine the horror. Then this man starts screaming at Rodney. He says, I'm going to kill you, and he fires few shots into the car. Luckily for Rodney, the bullets miss him completely. One bullet just grazed his head, by the way. And then the man starts repeatedly hitting him in the head, and Rodney covers his head with arms to protect himself. Very quickly, the man grabs, screaming Carla, drags her out of the car, and fires few more shots at Rodney. He misses again. Rodney runs over and tries to get Carla out of his hands, but this guy smacks him in the head with a gun and Rodney loses consciousness for a few minutes. As you would say, he pistoled him. This is a new term that I didn't know before I researched this case. When someone smacks you unconscious with a gun, he pistoled you. Great. The more you learn. Rodney later said that the last thing he heard before he fell unconscious was this man saying to Carla, you're going with me, sweetie. (coughs) And Carla replied, I'm gonna go with you, just don't shoot him. And then the world went black for him. Rodney regains his consciousness only a few minutes later, but it was already too late. He rushes to her parents and he tells them what happened. People that were nearby later said that he was screaming, they got her, they got her, repeatedly. I cannot even imagine. This horror. They all together rush to the bowling alley as soon as possible, but they could not find anything except her purse, and they called the police. Rodney described this man as a white man in his early 20s with a strong accent which pointed that he was from the Southwest. He said that he was wearing a cowboy hat that fell off his head while the guy was punching him. This guy allegedly was wearing shiny green sleeveless shirt and his hair was medium short, tucked behind his ears. Carla was pronounced missing, like right away, and the search began immediately. Police interviewed everyone. Her parents, neighbors, students that were on the Valentine's Day school party, people who were that night at the bowling alley, even teachers, everyone. One guy reported that he saw a car that was sitting at the exit lane of the parking lot of the bowling alley that could potentially be the car of the perpetrator, and it was, he believes, a green Chevrolet. Soon enough, they already had their first suspect. It was a guy who was that night at the bowling alley who had a similar look and descriptions that Rodney gave. He was also quite aggressive towards several people that night, and he also had a gun. But he passed the polygraph test. So nothing. And you know, back in the day, people believed that the polygraph test is 100% correct. And if you pass the polygraph test you were innocent. And today we know that polygraph test is not even considered as as evidence because it's quite easy to, you know, to manipulate with the polygraph. In the meantime, they combed the whole area around Fort Worth in search of Carla, but she was nowhere to be found. They were searching for her on horses, by foot, even with helicopter. The citizens joined the search party. Even the FBI was involved at one point. But there was like no trace of her anywhere. And sadly, several days after she gone missing, her body appears. And her body was found in the ditch near the Lake Banbrook. And the Lake Banbrook is just outside the, the town. It was believed that her body was placed there the day before, since that area was thoroughly searched before. And they decided, yes, I wrote that here, the lake was just outside the town, not far away. And that many people searched and found nothing. Until her body just pops out of nowhere. So they believe she was placed there afterwards. The autopsy revealed that she had been beaten, tortured, sexually assaulted, and finally strangled to death. Toxicology results also revealed that she had been injected morphine. It was believed that after she got kidnapped on Saturday evening, she was alive all Sunday and then killed on Monday and dropped off on Wednesday. Police had many suspects. The first one was Tommy R. Neeland, a 25-year-old mechanic who was already convicted of kidnapping a girl. He kidnapped this girl and he later released her, quite soon, because she begged him to do so while she was holding a cross in her hands. He was also suspected with two accounts of murder of two hitchhikers When he attacked and sexually assaulted and killed the girl, then beat her boyfriend and slit his throat before dumping them beside the road. He was also suspected of abducting his neighbor while her children were sleeping. The attacker dragged her to the woods, sexually assaulted her and strangled her to death. Rodney, Carl's boyfriend, did, in fact, recognize him in in a lineup as the man who attacked them that night. However, Tommy strongly denied he kidnapped and killed Carla, but he did admit that he committed previous two crimes, you know, hitchhiker and neighbor. So okay, I guess. In his favor, there were six other people who were with him that night at the church in the other town, as well as the local pastor. Too late for church, my friend. He took the polygraph test that he passed and he was released of all the allegations for Carla's murder but he was convicted to two life sentences for the previous murders. He remained the prime suspect, though, for months, but no further evidence came by that would pin him down for Carla's murder. Even though he was sentenced for two lives in prison, he served only 18 years before he was released on parole, only to be arrested again a few days later for breaking the rules of the parole. However, he was released again and he still lives today in Texas without, as a free man, without any more committed crimes, as far as we know. But he lives as a free man. He killed like three people, he confessed to killing three people, potentially four people, but he's a free man. The only piece of jewelry that was missing from Carl's body was the promise ring Rodney gave her. And her parents believed that the killer knew her and he was in love with her secretly, and that he was mad at her relationship with Rodney. But the police dismissed this because her ring could easily fall off during the struggle. They also suspected our guy from the beginning of the story, you know, if you remember, Samuel, uh, Glenn Samuel McCurley, because he had the point twenty two caliber Ruger gun, and the magazine and few bullets of the same type of pistol were found at the crime scene, very close to her body. However, he claimed that his gun was stolen six weeks prior, but he never reported that his gun was stolen because he was already convicted in the past for stealing a car and in his words he didn't want to interact with police again. But again, when you think about that, sure, you don't want to go to the police and, you know, risk being the suspected again for something, but again, if your gun was stolen, the first thing I would do is go and report that my gun was stolen. I don't have a gun, by the way. <laughs> but I would go and report that my gun was stolen because someone could kill some somebody with that gun, and then that gun would lead the police con- directly to me, you know? Like, I want everyone to know that my gun was stolen, like, right? right? So his explanation was quite weird for me. He also didn't have any alibi for the evening. He was claiming that he was home and conveniently his wife was visiting her family in the West Texas that day so she was not home. And nobody could confirm that he was in fact home. And his job shift as a truck driver ended at 4pm. So, zero alibi. However, they also had zero evidence against him except that magazine and and bullets rodney himself took two polygraph tests he passed both he even went on a hypnotherapy where he was put under hypnosis but his statements about that night never changed and i can't even imagine living and he said that later like he lived under the cloud of suspicion his whole life like 50 years almost because, you know, he was the last person that saw Carla alive. He was the last person seen with Carla. And of course, he probably became the main suspect throughout the whole, you know, case. But I would be the first one to say, boyfriend is guilty, husband is guilty. And I can't even imagine how it is to live your whole life, basically, under this cloud of suspicion. Two years after the tragedy, Carla's family began receiving strange phone calls. You know, someone would call them and then just stay silent the whole time. Even though it was never concluded where these calls came from, they believed it was the someone who had something to do with the murder of their their daughter. Several years later, the man who was already serving his sentence in prison in Tennessee for not paying child support, confesses to the police he did kill a woman in Bambrook years before. However, his story did contain a lot of inconsistencies with the official, you know, timeline of Carl's death, so the police ended up not believing him. They came to the conclusion that he heard about this case from inmates or from somewhere, and that he was only seeking attention. You know, I, I, I do understand that there are, there are sick people who, who, who do this, but it's not the first time it happens, by the way. But, you know, to lie about killing someone and possibly getting jailed up for that. Only, why? Only, you know, because you want to feel like the star of the story or what people talk to you. Why? Go get some help. (laughs) (laughs) Then another man named Jimmy also confessed. And he even got charged for that. But he was released a few months later because he confessed that... He made false confession only because he was depressed after breaking up with his girlfriend. So, because he was depressed, he went to the police and said, I killed Carla. What is wrong with people? And sadly, with all these fake leads and whatnot, this case goes cold. For 45 years. Not a single clue. Until... Tan-tan-tan... Now, we jump all the way to 2017 when police finds a 45-year-old letter in their archives in some random file case in the police storage. It was indicated that the the author of that letter knew something about the case. The letter was mailed 45 years ago, only a few days after the murder, but it got, quote unquote, lost in the paperwork. Sure, for 45 years. Sure. Part of that letter was destroyed. And it was the most important part, since the whole letter had only one line and it said something, killed Carla Walker. Hard to say, but it's true. End quote. The only part that was missing was the name before that, like, for example, John killed Carla Walker. Hard to say, but it's true. And then someone ripped the name from that. Now, there was a possibility that someone destroyed it on purpose, you know, who knew the killer, to hide the killer's name, but considering it's been 45 years it's not strange at all that the part was gone but again it was like hidden in a random file case in the police and only that part was missing Um, there is also a possibility that it came in the police in that condition and since it didn't have the name of the killer they didn't include it in the official evidence case but i'm i i'd like to stick with the other version that someone who knew the killer from the police ripped his name off and then just threw that letter in some random file case. And like, nobody's gonna find that. (laughs) But again, like, throw it in the trash. (laughs) Why, (laughs) me and my theories. In April of 2020, the Oxygen network covers this story and they mentioned that nowadays, when the technology advanced, it could be possible to test the old DNA evidence police took back in the 70s. And when this episode aired, Those DNA testings, known as genealogy DNA testings, were already undergoing. And finally, in September 2020, police knocks at the door of Samuel McCurley, the guy who claimed his gun was stolen at the time of the murder. And as he agreed to give his DNA sample, he basically gave himself in, since the DNA was a complete match with the DNA found on Carla's bra. And after 45 years, he was finally arrested. Now, I mentioned the genealogy DNA testing, and and that was the article I saw in 2020. Like, that this guy, Samuel McCurley, Glenn Samuel McCurley, and this whole case of murder of Carla Walker, was was the first case ever that got solved after 45 years due to the genealogy dna testing and genealogy dna testing is basically working on you know matching the dna's from close relatives of the people if they are not alive sorry if they are not alive you can match the dna from the closest relative and that's for example how the site ancestry.com works they use genealogy dna but you see even before glenn agreed to give his dna sample the police was following him for some time in order to collect his dna sample in secret because they didn't want him to know that they are researching this case again and that there is a possibility to catch him because of the dna and potentially risk that he potentially runs away so they wanted to make sure and have like you know the hard proof that he did it even before they reached out to him so they followed him for months waiting for him to leave something with his dna behind and on one occasion he threw away the can of soda in the trash which they took and matched his dna a long time before he even agreed to give them the sample. He firstly denied he had anything to do with the murder, repeating the story how his gun was stolen over and over again, and he pleaded not guilty. But soon later, after a few interrogations, and after a few trials, he changed his plea to guilty. And following McCurley's plea change, Carlos' sister told McCurley that he should have confessed his guilt sooner and that he had put her family through hell. She said, I wish you'd done this a long time ago. I spent 17 years in the same bedroom with my sister. I knew her. She was four feet, 11 inches, 100 pounds. You had choices, lots of choices that night. You went out to kill somebody. You kept saying in your profession that that wasn't you, it just wasn't you. That's you. End quote. She also invited McCurley to write her a letter and come completely clean about that night if he can't do it in person. She also asked that he confesses to any other potential crime. I want to know if you've done this to somebody else. You need to bring that out because those families need to know the truth. You have nothing to lose at this point, she said. Rodney also took the stand and he said, it's been 47 years. I had a cloud of suspicion on me for all these years that's dormant. And despite being, you know, pistol-whipped unconscious, Rodney still, to this day, carries guilt that he was not able to do more and to stop the perpetrator taking Carla from him. He said, I just felt I let Mr. Walker down. His little flower. He always said to me, take care of my little flower. This gave me chills. Shit. Carlos's brother, Jim Walker, also spoke directly to McCurley and he said that he managed to forgive his sister-killer. He said, This is a time of healing. It's funny to say that, after almost 50 years, isn't it? What we witnessed is a lot of feelings in this courtroom and now it's time to move forward and hopefully be able to help other families. Carlos's family, end quote. Carlos Family plans to help families impacted by cold cases raise funding to send evidence to be tested. Prosecutors believe that this trial is among the first in the country to use forensic genealogy testing. The science that can help narrow leads for police is now emerging across the nation. So this is this was basically in 2021 the first case that got solved through this. During testimony McCurley seemingly confessed to the crime. He said I guess I choked her to death. The defense claimed that no forensic evidence from the scene was linked to McCurley. His lawyers also called into question the other DNA evidence that was confirmed to match McCurley, as well as his confession, stating that he was telling police only things they wanted to hear. According to police, McCurley told detectives he had been out drinking the night of the crime. He said he parked in the parking lot and noticed a girl screaming in her boyfriend's car. He said he walked over to help her out and got the girl out of the car after a tussle with her boyfriend. After denying raping and strangling her to death, McCurley let out a sob and confessed to both by the end of the interview. The evidence presented to court also included a .22 Ruger pistol McCurley had claimed it was stolen in in 1974 and the police found that pistol that gun concealed inside his home so he lied the police also connected him to several other deaths as the potential suspect several years after Carla's murder two girls were found naked beaten strangled and raped on the side of the street but nothing came out of it and as of 2022 McCurley has not fully admitted to killing Carla Walker. In one interview, he told the reporter that he pled guilty only because he had enough hounding. And McCurley is currently present in Gibb Lewis' unit, and he will be liable for parole on March 21st, 1929. And that is the end of the story about, about the murder of Carla Walker that went cold for 45 years and got solved as the first case ever with forensic genealogy DNA testing. I am so proud of myself. <laughs> like, this was the first, as I mentioned, this was the first case that I researched on my own, like, knowing nothing, having zero podcast, listen about this. And I did such a great job. <laughs> Yay, me. Anyway, we see how, as the science advances, you know, we could potentially solve more murders and... If I'm remembering correctly, the genealogy testing also linked the Zodiac Killer, am I right? I'm not sure I have to check that up, but I think that was the case. Thank you so much for listening and for being here. It means more than you can imagine. Like, I recently listened to some guy talking on TikTok, like, should you do like the podcast in your, in your language or in English, like when you're doing the podcast in your language, you can be the best podcast in your language but if you do the podcast in english you're reaching like the wider audience but again you're giving the audience like cranky english and you're basically fighting against the world like against the this, the ocean of other podcasts out there who are doing the same thing as you but with better english Crank English could be sometimes really hard to listen. So therefore, I want to once again say how much I'm grateful for all of you that return every week to listen to my crank English, <laughs> and my stupid jokes, and it really means a lot. And I'm not fighting against the world, I'm not fighting against anyone, I'm just having fun. And I want people to also have fun. As much as it is possible, listening about people getting murdered, I love you. (laughs) And that's that. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to listen to other episodes, we are on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, literally everywhere. We are also on YouTube. There are no video episodes still. Wink, wink. But um, yeah, you can listen to regular podcasts out there. Thank you so much once again, and I'll see you next time. Bye.